We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are you? You excited for a happy Thanksgiving? Sort of. I don't know what I'm going to be doing yet for it, but I'm sure it'll be happy. Are you going to be, are you going to stay home? Like I don't boy? know, man. I, like, I want to see my family very much. I miss my family very much. Uh, I think I could go out there. Everyone's had it, so it's like probably the safest possible scenario you could get. They could come in and pick us up. There's still just like this sense that you're not supposed to, so whatever. Right. It's, it's TBD, but I'm, I'm hoping we'll be able to find a way to do it. Well, while you think that over, we have our uh, special guest this week. It's one and only Reeves Weidman, contributing editor of New York Magazine and author of the fantastic book, Billion Dollar Loser Reeves Weidman. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Thanksgiving Chat. So we're going to be going over all the different condiments, all the different inside and outside stuffing over the next 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, We're going to yeah. count them down. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just rank the side dishes. No one's ever done that, ever. <laughs> uh, Reeves, uh, before we get to uh, the book, I want to talk to you about your past life as a sports writer, because you and Roth both covered the immortal Tim Tebow together. Oh, lucky you. We did. At, at the height, uh, well... At the height of his powers, but sort of the end of his his yeah. momentary reign over over the sports world. It was in at Foxborough when he yep. when he uh, what was it the divisional round? Yes. So they had won in the wild card on a miraculous right. touchdown. Like he basically like the one really good pass yeah. he threw as an NFL <laughs> right. quarterback. The Steelers and, game. Yeah, and so everybody was like, "I don't, maybe who knows?" Like this obviously does not look like a real NFL quarterback beyond like his personal physical width. Yep. But, like, maybe, maybe it works. Yeah. And then we were there for the moment when, like, it just did not work. It right. was cold as shit. Uh, I remember the um, that Bob Ryan was just, like, absolutely swinging dick, lording it over the entire, <laughs> like, just, like, talking during the anthem. And just, like, it was hilarious. But, yeah, yeah, you were, were you covering it for the New Yorker at the time? Or I, I mean, this was, like, the range of people who were suddenly interested at in Tim Tebow. I was there uh, from the New Yorker magazine, and I was sitting next to someone from People magazine. I, which is what I remember from it too, and she was there, <laughs> and she was there like on contingency. She was like, "If he wins, right, then we probably have to do a story. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, you know, we're we're over it." But um, yeah, I mean, that was that was like the full. It, it is sort of crazy to think back of of that. It's like one of those rare like Jeremy Lin like moments where it's suddenly like this random guy becomes you know the the place that the New Yorker and People magazine and everyone else cares about so it's yeah. I, 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 I look the, back on it fondly frankly me too that was one of the more i mean i got a couple of stories out of it. i was there writing about it with uh jeff johnson who is like my writing partner for an nfl column we did at gq.com like three different iterations of that website ago yeah. and it was there were so many people we, we were sitting next to peter king he was on right. the other side of jeff johnson so it was right. literally like the alpha and the omega <laughs> Of sports, like like it was me getting paid one hundred and fifty dollars to do half of a Gmail chat column, and then <laughs> and then my buddy, and then Peter King, yeah. and that was the uh, the setup there. But I remember the um the vibe of like general like staff people at Foxborough was exceedingly dour, like it was all off duty cop shit. Mm -hmm. But the people that were covering the game was like I met Charles Pierce. Like, it was actually just, like, a fun sort of, like, fantasy weekend of pretending to be a journalist for me. Yeah. So that was, it was a nice moment in that. It sounds like a, uh, like a Super Bowl week meetup. Yeah. <laughs> right. Everyone. We're like, wow. By the way, for posterity, so you know, uh, so the, the listeners know, 
the Broncos, who went eight and eight that year uh, and only got to the divisional round because of that oh, miracle wow. pass over the Steelers, uh, they lost to the Patriots forty-five to ten. The halftime score was thirty-five to seven. Tim Tebow went nine of twenty-six for one hundred and thirty-six yards, was sacked five times, rushed five times for thirteen yards. Meanwhile, Tom Brady threw for three hundred sixty-three yards. And six touchdowns. <laughs> but yeah, what you what you don't see in that stat line too. One of those, if I may take you inside the box score, is that Brady threw for like two hundred of those yards in the first five minutes of the game. Yeah. Like it was over instantly. It was, there it was, was no also drama. an Aaron Hernandez game. Yeah. Oh sure. Right. The Pats leading rusher in that game, Aaron Hernandez. Yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> Rushes for sixty-one yards, and I remember, I remember so so vividly him being sort of used as an H back. I was like, wow, right. now that's a dangerous player. Yeah. <laughs> what do you remember about the Foxborough experience, Reese? Is there any like particular thing about like being there? I mean, it was very cold that day. Super because cold, I was actually, yes. I remember, a, a, I, I met up with a friend who's a Patriots fan and, and was going to the game with his dad. And I sort of thought it was kind of crazy for them to even be doing so. And I do remember meeting up with them in the parking lot after the game and it thoroughly not being worth it, even though the Patriots had won to watch this like 45 to 10 shellacking. So. Yeah. Everybody was so miserable. Like there's a lot of like people that had like going to the football game outfits like you see and like Packers games, like not in the sense of like I'm wearing my Ben Coates jersey, mm-hmm. like things where there's like a weird like it's like a one piece snowsuit that you wear over another smaller snowsuit, and then over that you put like whatever your whatever <laughs> like uh, whatever OJ Mayo jersey. Well, I feel is- like that stadium is never not cold. Like you, it's just yeah. a place you go where you have to drink brandy for warmth at all yeah. times. Yeah, it is. It was training for for in some ways our our current attempts at at socializing. Just the other day, I was outside in a friend's backyard. Um, he lit a fire. And gave me one of those like camping water bottles that you fill it with boiling water and then like stick it in your sleeping bag. But I just put it inside my coat just to be warm <laughs> so we could hang out outside um, in, in our, our sort of current uh, dangerous socializing situation. So respect the effort. Yeah, that, that, that sounds extremely risky. Like anytime you have to use strategically use boiling water so you can enjoy a beer, you definitely have to have some second thoughts. I think it's but. like the end of end of that, maybe so. Yeah. Uh, let's chat about the book. Uh, the book is Billion Dollar Loser. It's the saga of Adam Newman and uh, and WeWork, which is arguably one of the uh, one of the greater uh, billion dollar frauds in U.S. history. Uh, and it's funny because I I started reading the book. Well, it's funny to me because I was reading the book and I was like, I'd always thought of WeWork as uh, basically like in my head it was like uber but for office space which doesn't make any sense at all mm-hmm. and of course you right from the preface you right from the prologue you you disabuse that notion right away it's just, you were just like yeah no he's just uh it's just real estate bullshit yeah. and uh and it's also interesting because of course you you talked to Adam Newman and learned about you tell his you know essentially his life story in the book and it's actually it's so refreshing because He's uh, he's a con man uh, and was you know perpetrator of of a, of a fraud that destroyed many 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 lives, uh, and yet I'm I'm so used to the Trump era of our biggest con men being deeply uninteresting people mm-hmm. that I was shocked that Newman was actually I was like <laughs> oh my god this person is actually interesting and I wanted to, like read more about them did you were you because uh, you talked to Newman first of all what was it like talking to him and secondly what is 
what is your feelings about him like in the in the hole after writing the book? Yeah. I mean, he is an interesting guy. He's kind of a fun guy. He's like, unlike some of our villains, Adam Newman is probably someone you would enjoy having a beer with or, or tequila yes. in his case. Yeah, um, I was going to say, like tequila like lots and, and hot lots boxing of... a private jet or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, for, for whatever it's worth, like, and, and this was part of his charm is like he was someone you did want to hang around and, and be around and sort of believe in. And so... You know, all these people were willing to buy into it. In in part, you know, it's not it's not quite as simple as like I had a good time with him and he got me drunk and I signed some paperwork. But right. there was a part of it where, especially because he was what he was selling was like we're making we're making offices cool, we're making them fun. Like the fact that he was someone you wanted to hang out with, um, I, I I think was a was a big part of the appeal. And you know, when I met him, like you certainly saw that. I mean, you also can see sort of through some of the BS, um, the fact that he doesn't really answer your questions and just kind of says whatever he wants to say um, as, as sort of one example. But um, you could also see, like, he is a, a tall, handsome, charming man, and there are all kinds of people who want to hang around that kind of person's orbit. And his this story... Maybe... Go ahead. Uh, well, his story is attractive, too, because yeah. he grew up essentially as a vagabond. Yep. Uh, you know, he, he bounced... You know, he, he's from... Israel. He came to America. He he went back to Israel, and he started out his career uh, essentially uh, as as an inventor. Like he invented the uh, baby pants. Yeah, he the... invented baby pants with knee pads. Which saying a baby needs knee pads has like a lot of connotations you don't want to think about. <laughs> and then also invented collapsible collapsible high heel shoes mm-hmm. that failed because they were going to they like like the first prototype as you write about. Like almost slice someone's finger off. Yeah, it was dangerous. Um, Very dangerous. So it was sort shoot. of like it was sort of like the charming uh, entrepreneurial spirit that like I thought of when I was a kid. Yeah. Like like the dad in fucking Gremlins, like with the yeah. bathroom buddy. I'm like <laughs> yeah. I'm like okay, someone's trying to invent a product that's going to like improve people's lives and it's going to make them rich, but it's going to be a cool thing too. Like that's how I that was sort of my childish view of capitalism. And then he ended up <laughs> being then he ended up just essentially rebranding, uh, you know cutting up office space as some sort of world-changing event. So it was sort of, it's sort of dispiriting that he didn't end up like, you know, in, inventing more worthless shit instead. Yeah, you kind of wish the, the baby clothes with knee pads had truly been an amazing revelation that changed the lives of, of parents everywhere. Um, yes! You know, in, in some ways, that, that would have been nice. But yeah, what he did was, I mean, to your point at the beginning, like he, he thinking this was sort of uber for office space, like, like what Adam was genius at was branding this thing and, and right. you know, branding it as something that was different than, you know, just just office space that was nicely designed, that had good coffee and, and free beer um, to share with with all of your new friends uh, in the office. So this is this leads into a thing that has always sort of confused me about about this. And then also maybe it's because we you've also written very well about Vice, where I worked before I okay. worked at Deadspin. And that there's an element in both of these cases of not just, you know, a charismatic founder who's good at getting rich people to give him money and stuff. But there's also this weird sort of like leap that the the brand or company takes at some point where like this is a thing that's kind of fascinated me, especially about WeWork. WeWork made money. Like yeah. it wasn't the sort of thing where it was like uh, like Uber Eats or any of these things where they're just like the whole yeah. idea is just to spend Masayoshi's son's investment mm-hmm. down <laughs> to show that you have it or whatever. Like 
WeWork could have been a viable business, but at some point, somewhere along the line, the guy decided that he was Jesus Christ and was going to change the world's consciousness and become the president of the planet or whatever. Do you have any insight into how or why that happened? Because it seems like Shane did a similar thing at Vice and it fucked us. I mean, like... Yeah, it always does. I mean, I, I like I, I see very much like connections between Vice and Uber, which I've also written about. I wrote about Rap Genius when they were trying to become genius and trying to annotate the world. Um, there were, are very clear ways in which these companies and these founders are, are in some ways incentivized and, and in other ways just kind of motivated to sort of expand their empires as widely as they possibly can. Uh, all of these companies, like Vice made cool documentaries. Uh, you guys at Vice Sports like did cool stuff. But there was suddenly this impulse to like take over the world, to be the new CNN, to be the new ESPN versus like yeah. doing the thing that, that you... I mean, that was literally a thing that he said was like, we're going to be the new CNN, the new ESPN... WeWork was going from we make cool office space to suddenly we're running an elementary school. Uh, we have a wave pool company. We have a gym franchise. Like all these Ooh, things that didn't really necessarily connect to the thing that at the core they're actually good at. So what's the incentive, I wonder, for that? Is it that that's what the language you have to speak to get money from venture guys? Or is it that like at some point you start getting high on your own supply and really believe the shit? I think it's a little like, bit of both. Like, like. Mm-hmm. The, the venture world very much is on like the goal is to build these giant unicorns. Like if, if you fund 20 companies, 19 of them fail, but one of them is the next Airbnb, um, you're, you're good to go. And that like the other 19 failures don't matter. So like, this is very much an industry, the venture capital industry that is predicated on these kind of big bets. I think where Adam comes in is like, there were plenty of people who were doing the same things as Adam but weren't willing to like go for it in the way that that um, VCs wanted, that Masayoshi-san wanted um, to get bigger and bigger and be crazier and crazier. Um, so there is some level at which like you know Adam was willing to believe that he was capable of the impossible, um, and that sort of fuels you know fuels the growth once you've got the money to to go after it. Most of us I would think- not be willing to take these risks. I think. Yeah, I think there's a certain because it's awkward to lie if you're not a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's also there's a certain like the two entities, like the the you know the dream adult entrepreneur and the system goad each other toward this because the system is unrelenting in demanding growth. It's just grow, 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 grow. Here's your goal: you have to make twenty billion dollars this year instead of ten billion dollars, and we just set that number arbitrarily, but we expect you to hit it. Otherwise, you're a failure. Yeah. And and it attracts a certain type of individual who, you know, who is not only determined, but then quickly realizes or has some sort of either it's subconscious or they know it, that that suddenly it becomes more important the pitch becomes more important than the product. Yeah. And and they're really they really perfect the pitch across every platform and they get very public and all that all that shit. And so their ambitions grow in tandem with what is being demanded of them from their investors and from just the basic sort of economy as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, Adam was a salesman. Um, And, and, you know, there's, there's a way in which like, 
on the one hand, you can you can read into that that he was a con man and duping us. On the other hand, he just knew what people kind of wanted to hear. He knew how to pitch yeah. this thing, which is like a real skill. Like you know, it, it even if even if you're building a real business, like you have to convince people that it is something new and different. And so, he was good at it. But it just you know the the thing they were actually doing in, on the back end couldn't like keep up with with everything he was he was promising. That's- the part of it that is so baffling to me is that like beyond like his talent for this like real estate is like that's a knowable business yeah. and it's a business where like people make a lot of money in real estate yeah. like you don't even have to really necessarily be that smart you just need to know what the rules are and and do it yeah. right like how that wound up not being enough i mean that's like what you were saying about like the idea of like prioritizing you know unicorn formation over anything else is like just such a I mean, I don't, obviously, you know, we're living in the the wreckage of that, but that just doesn't seem like any way to run an economy. I know. Yeah. I mean, there, there's like a point in the book where like a guy who basically was competing with Adam, like identifies very much as a capitalist, um, says says as much to me, sort of says like, if, if Adam like succeeds doing this the way that he has, like, I'm not, I'm not so sure that the system like works the, the, the way that it's, it's supposed to. It, it doesn't. It, it, <laughs> yeah. I think we can like, pretty safely say that the system is broken and and you know we need to try to figure out some solutions i think to the to your point of like this was a real estate company it should be obvious i mean one one thing that that there are these connections to the theranos story to to the bad blood story and it's it's not it's not that we work was was a fraud in that you know the blood testing machines didn't work. Yeah, we like, were kind of off. Do what it was, it was supposed to do, yeah. right? But um, you know, we work. Uh, uh, Theranos didn't have any doctors on its board of directors. WeWork didn't have any real estate people on its board of directors. Adam would go to tech investors and say, "Look at all this money I'm making in the real estate world." Um, unlike the companies that you fund, and then you'd go to sort of more traditional kind of real estate folks and investors and say, "I'm a tech company. Like this, this is not a real estate business." So he he in this way kind of played people off of each other and and in some ways at least played sort of their ignorance uh, off of themselves on, on this hope that he had kind of figured something out. Yeah, because then you're selling it as, you know, the very, you know, the way you described the the business model and you can describe it better than me right now. It's very plain and very yeah. dull. Whereas if you say, "Oh, it's tech," or you say, you know, you frame it in some sort of innovative way because the goal right now, the way that the system's set up is it's a billion or nothing, like you said, right. like the unicorns and the way that the inequity of American society is that there are billionaires and there's everyone else. Yeah. And so the whole goal now is to become one of those billionaires. Otherwise, you fuck up. Right. So, you know, and the only way to do that is to basically tell people, you know, that the thing, the very basic thing you're selling them is somehow has facets of it that it doesn't really have. Yeah. Well, there's a story I tell in the book where, you know, WeWork was founded sort of after the last financial crisis. Um, it was also in this moment where a lot of tech companies be- were being started uh, shortly after The Social Network, the movie came out. And there was this point where Adam kind of, Adam Newman ingratiated himself into Sean Parker's world. Sean Parker was played by... Um, Justin, JT. Justin Timberlake yep. in the movie. Um, he's the, I'm going to butcher the line, but you know, a, a million isn't cool anymore. You know, now, now, you know, what's cool is a billion you know dollars cool or whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, we love our Justin Timberlake, longtime listener of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. He's sure. good in the movie, man. He's, he's very good. good in the movie. Great movie. Adam liked the movie too, and he um, started uh, like in in real life becoming friends with the real life Sean Parker, who was known for kind of throwing these crazy parties at this townhouse in the West Village. And and Adam sort of worked his way into that world back when he was nothing. WeWork was was kind of just starting out. And it was at that point, he, he, he at one point sort of talked to Parker at a party and said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm building the physical social network. Um, was this like idea that he then started sort of <laughs> selling. And, and I think, you know, Adam, like many other people, saw this generation, the, the Jeff Bezos, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Google guys, the Travis Kalanicks, and said, like, that's what I want to be. There, there was this kind of rock star um, celebrity tech founder that that you know if if you were sort of an ambitious kind of business type you wanted to be that and and the way to do that was not to start a kind of boring real estate business it was to to start a tech company i remember i remember that phrasing social network of life in the book is yeah. i I was like, that's fucking life. I was yeah, dying. You're talking, about, you're talking about a dormitory. <laughs> yeah, you're, ta- like, <laughs> you're talking about physical existence. Well, they did. They, like, they, 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 have, they have basically a dorm. We live. And right. it's, it's like, it kind of is this thing where it's like, dude, you know, that's, that's a great thing in college. But there's a, there's, there are various reasons that people don't want to live get, in dorms for, for the rest of their lives. This gets to like an uncanniness that's at the heart of all of this to me is that like, like we work served a, a purpose. Like my wife used it like yeah. when, you know, for her work, like people liked totally. it and it seemed like, you know, for what it was, it was good, but there's all the other leaps that it made are the sort of things where it's not just that there's not like a market for it. That's commensurate with the market for office space. It's that like, it's a thing that nobody wants yeah. or that only like very, very weird people would want. Like the idea of like you're done with your work day and you're like, you know, I wish there was just a fucking bunk bed that I could just climb up into and go to sleep so that tomorrow I could climb down from it and yeah. go back to work. And maybe like everybody I work with would just always be there. Nobody wants that shit. <laughs> yeah. I think Reeves, it's, uh, oh, sorry, go well, ahead. Well, I, I had heard it was a lot of a lot of recent college grads trying to grasp onto the joys of being in college, and divorcees was actually another uh, a place where I, so, 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 uh, so dark Kirk Van dark Houten place. segment yeah. of the market. Yeah. yeah. You have to be able to provide race car beds for those who want race car beds. Uh, Reeves, I know you got cut out soon, so I wanted to ask you, uh, do you know, has Adam read the book? Have you spoken to Adam since the book's been published? I have not heard from him. Um, I don't uh, know if if he has or or will, but I certainly am am eager to hear from him. He's been bouncing between the Hamptons, where they have a house, and and Tel Aviv, where where he's been living. So uh, I'll, I'll be eager to hear from him at some point, hopefully. What do you ask a follow up about him sure. real quick? Yeah. Do you think he can dunk? Uh, interesting question because his co-founder Miguel McKelvey, who we haven't talked at all, sort of the the silent kind of architect in in their partnership, w- is Adam is six five, Miguel is six eight, and Miguel wow. played college basketball at the University of Oregon for a year. You can find him on BasketballReference.com. dot com. He did not. He can his, dunk. His stat. He can definitely dunk. Um, and and still can. Adam, I was told by all accounts, is not an athlete, despite. Um, his size. He was in the Israeli Navy and and would occasionally challenge people to swimming competitions that he would typically win. But um, I don't think that that ball sports were were his his thing. Yeah, I mean you can take issue with their business model, but that is elite length. Yeah, founders right there and switchability. I remember True. you, you uh, in the book you said Miguel uh, McKelvey. One of the things that turned him around was that he had a basketball coach 
who yeah. was very disciplined, who outlawed left-handed dribbling. Yeah, it was like left-handed dribbling. I think uh, shots outside the paint maybe was was another thing. It was v- very a very rigid system and certainly that's not insane. the kind of system anyone would run today. Yeah, that's Greg Marshall shit. That's abusive <laughs> to say like, oh, like the left-handedness is the tool of the devil. That's you the can't problem. do it. <laughs> Wait, so he we can blame we work on Ernie Kent. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Reeves, you've been a fantastic guest. We're going to cut you loose. But again, uh, the book is Billion Dollar Loser. It's available everywhere right now. And also, please uh, follow him on Twitter and uh, read his work at New York uh, Magazine. He just did a fantastic, gigantic blow up on uh, internal turmoil at the New York Times, the stately, au- I have to say August New York Times. The August gray lady. The gray you have to lady. say it's August. The paper yeah. of record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again. We'll take a break yeah, and come thanks, right man. back. Thanks for having me, guys. We're back. That was nice to have Reeves on. Do you feel enlightened, Rolf? I do. I feel like I learned a lot. I feel like I'm ready to start a company that changes the entire world. Oh, yeah. No, no. Trust me. I, I read in the book, and I'm like, I'm in the wrong business. Yeah. Like, it is funny, too, that like to think about what we were trying to do with Defector, where it's like, we want to run like a cash flow, like a successful business, and we want to pay ourselves and get our own insurance. And just like thinking about how that would sound relative to like Adam Newman, like roller skating into a meeting full of venture capitalists <laughs> and being like, my goal is simple. Like I want to like every one of your kids, I want them to become my kids because I have so much money and everybody's just clapping at it. I, uh, there was also, there's a, there's an anecdote in the book about Miguel McKelvey starting one business and, uh, and the, the death knell of the business was when it started making a profit. Yeah. Because then, then he couldn't raise any more money because it was still, because it was profitable. So I'm sitting here like, like, like we at Defector are just trying to like br- get to a point where we can pay ourselves a salary and like have a nice bonus yeah. at the end of the year and stuff. And it's like, oh, doing it all wrong. We need to borrow $58 billion. Right. Like that's so we got to that, get our valuation up. Yeah, we need to over leverage ourselves times four billion. That's this is basically like, but that's again, it's psychotic. Not to like underline the point of that. The idea of being like, all right, we're doing something, it's working. What we need to do now is become the exclusive rights holder to NFL television broadcasts. Like, it's, uh, it, why? Yeah. If you don't, you don't necessarily know how to do that, just because you know how to do one thing. It's it's also, and I I wanted to ask Reeves because I think I'm wrong about this, but like. I joined the workforce right when the dot-com bubble collapsed. Same. And it seemed to me during the dot-com bubble that all of the all the failures were essentially well-intentioned. Yeah, like, they were trying to be businesses. Yeah, like they were trying. I mean, they were all trying to get uh, – they were all trying to, to have a an IPO and get rich that way. But they were still trying to like offer – things they thought people needed, even if that thing happened to be like fogdog.com selling you shitty sporting goods online. Yeah. Uh, so like, and so it, it's, it's dispiriting to me that that failure uh, didn't encourage people to try better to give better products to people online, but instead uh, encourage people to be like, no, 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 just bypass regulators and, and yeah. create... Create something that that is unbeholden to anybody and doesn't actually do anything all that. That's useful. where that having all that fucking venture money sloshing around really changes it because I think that's exactly right. And I think it's at this point the game, especially for like Uber, have been really explicit about this. Is just to like as the state like atrophies and the ability to like actually put these regulations into effect in any meaningful way becomes harder and harder. 
then the idea is like if you raise enough money fast enough, then you're outgunning the state. Like they can't make you do anything because you're more powerful than them. You got more money and you got more influence. Right. Oh, and also if the sales copy is very casual and very like, we're just like you. Hey, yeah, bear with us a moment. It's just taking a second. Like while you're while your shit's buffering online and stuff. Yeah. Like, like all that all that stuff actually works and has a corrosive effect. But should we talk about sports? No. Well, okay. <laughs> we also I have a new game for you to play this week. Oh so yeah, this is exciting. Very ex- uh, but we got uh, there's a couple of things. One, by the time we uh, are done recording this, the NBA draft will have happened. But I just need a prediction from you. By the time this posts, will James Harden have gotten his wish and be shipped out of Houston to Brooklyn, which is where he wants to go, or anywhere else? I I have a very hard time imagining that that will happen. Just because uh, he's paid so much and he's so good that, like, the idea that it, there was a funny, like, you know, funny in just its earnestness post about, like, the Nets can put it all on the table. Like, the, <laughs> and it was, like, the the fifth through tenth guys on an eight yep. seed in the it shitty conference. Shit. And, like, pick swaps and whatever. And it's, just like, that's not... That, that's not enough. Like, the, yeah, it was, the guy's literally the fucking MVP of the league, you know, last year anyway. That, like, it was like nine Jordan Clarksons. It was just so yeah. horrible. And it's like, and those guys are all good, but it's the, I mean, it's like Spencer Dinwiddie and like Karis Lever. These are good NBA players, but the idea of being like, yeah, we're going to trade this guy that's like, you know, whatever, the most dominant scorer in the sport and like completely like overhaul our second unit so that it's now very competitive is like, I don't know that anybody could trade for Harden under those circumstances. Westbrook well, is think, more interesting to me because I think, like, he's a guy that could get dumped, but, like, they just paid a ton for him, like, the like last offseason. Right. So they have to cover, you know, their asses on that front. Well, the thing is that I I think that the Rockets are strapped for cash. I think yes. Tillman Fertitta is broke. And I think that they'd be willing to ship out both those guys essentially for nothing just so they don't have to pay them anymore. Yeah. I mean, so what he said is he doesn't want to pay the luxury tax. And... What I think, I think the truth is much closer to what you said in terms of like what he actually is willing to do. Yeah, his ass broke. Yeah, but I don't know, like the idea of just like instantly tearing it down to the studs with like a new GM too is like, I mean, it seems hard enough that like I can't imagine they're going to pull it off between now and whenever this podcast goes live. That's I guess mostly what it is. We'll see what happens. Well, good. Then it won't make the podcast dated. So that's good. Yeah, that's terrific. Another question for you is, uh, uh, history was made uh, this week when Kim Ang was hired as the general manager of the, uh, of the Miami Marlins, and this is a big fucking deal, and, uh, and we are, even though you are a baseball guy, we're two guys, so the meaning of Kim Ang's hiring is not, uh, it, it means a lot to us, but you know, to, to the female sports writers that I know and, and we've both worked with, like Lindsay Adler, like it's a it's a big watershed moment. Yeah. And uh, our own uh, two of our own female staffers, one of them, Kelsey McKinney, they said they were like they were happy for like five minutes until they remembered that she was working for the fucking Marlins. Yeah. Who it's at. there's a that's like um there was an Onion headline after Obama got elected that was like. <laughs> Like black man wins election to worst job in world. Like, yeah, and it's wor- basically like, it, yeah, this is the same sort of deal. Like, yeah, it was black man given America's worst job. Yeah, I remember that was it. But uh, so then, my question for you is: 
uh, because she's with the Marlins, and the Marlins were a playoff team this year, although that doesn't mean much. In well, the, there were a lot of playoff teams. There were a lot of playoff teams. Um, obviously, it's good she got the job. Uh, if she fails, because, I, and I, I don't think it would be her fault. I think it would just be the inter, the inner mar, inherent Marlinness of the Marlins that yeah. would lead to her downfall. But could that be a potential setback? I feel like not. I think the issue is that she's been on the doorstep of getting a job for a really long time, and I don't know who the other woman executive is that is next. And that part of it kind of sucks. It's like the way that you see right. like um, Becky Hammond like moving towards getting an actual NBA coaching job, and that's great. But like, there needs to be another Becky Hammond. Like that needs to become like a sort of a pipeline that makes that actually like possible as a as a reality and not as like kind of a, a one-off thing yeah and becky hammond needs to get a head coaching job too yes it's but i think that'll i think that'll time. happen like i think that it'll happen in the next few years i hope it does is, is it possible that kim ang's hiring helps accelerate the process that's my hope i mean i think that's the the biggest difference that it it would or could make i mean the real issue like you said is with the marlins like, what does success or failure look like in an organization where the goals primarily seem to be uh, keeping payroll at, like, you know, 40 or 50 million? And, like, right. yeah, maybe being competitive within that. But, like, the the first and foremost thing is, you know, is, is not paying your players too much. Like, she could succeed in terms of player development and hiring the right people. And, like, that would be great. But I don't think there's a commitment from ownership to, like, do the things that even, you know, like, you see the limits of it with the Rays this year and stuff like you can get everything right, but you still need to have that, like the depth of actual star players to, to win a world series. Like even in a, you know, a season like this, like the, the Rays were, it's a perfectly constructed roster, but like they don't have Mookie Betts and they don't have Clayton Kershaw. Right. They were, they, I mean, they were playing an absolute behemoth. Yeah. And a team too, that the Dodgers did all the Rays shit, right. They did, you know, they pulled guys off the curb they like evaluated other team systems better than those teams did, like and won trades as a result. Like all the hard like team building shit. They just also then had the money to like yeah to build that behemoth. Yeah, and then and, but they're all going to die of COVID, so that at least gives the Marlins <laughs> at least leaves the, an opening for the Marlins. There's uh, one we... point about Kimming I want to make before we move on, which is that Please. she graduated from Ridgewood High School, in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Um, which is a, a nice little bit of history for me because it means she's the first person from my high school to actually accomplish anything. Hey! Yeah. Wow. Well, she that's the it. real story. Yeah. Of course. That's the real story. It's huge. Uh, Everyone in New Jersey can't stop talking about it. Uh, two more sports questions before we get into all our other garbage. Uh, are, do I need to start accepting the possibility that Tom Brady will win a seventh ring this year with the Buccaneers? No, but I think about it too. Uh, I that one game, man, where he was, where the crud meter was maxed out against the Saints. I was like, oh, here it comes! Like I've been waiting for that for you know whatever fifteen, eighteen years at this point. Like the moment yeah, where they obliterated him. Yeah, and he looked ancient. Like he was yep. just so over. And then like I knew that he would have a bounce back game. And like I, you know, whatever. Like it knew it in the sense where I was like, I should get Chris Godwin on my DraftKings team. Like it's like the dumb way that I know things. I, but yeah, they look, they're back. I mean, like the defense is pretty good and I think yeah. they're not quite uh, like the class of the league, but like, it's funny, like beyond the Chiefs, like there's really a lot of uh, of like that, like sort of upper tier of teams is like, there's a lot of reasons to doubt a lot of those teams to me. 
Yeah, I thought that the NFC was sort of going to be dominated by the Seahawks, like for the first five or six weeks. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the Seahawks were unbeaten. And Russell Wilson, it seemed to me like it was one of those years where Russ was going to get MVP just because it was like he was due and he was playing up to it. Yeah, he He was incredible for the first month. He's been awful the past three weeks. He's been legitimately awful. So now it's like, like there's a, there's a three-way log jam in the West between them and the Rams and the Cardinals, who are, like, really good. Yeah. Yeah, you were like, right on that one, actually. That was, like, yeah. your really bold gambit, I remember, before the season. You had them with, like, 10 or 11 wins or something. Yeah, I had them being good, and I had the Dolphins being good, because they just seemed on track. And then the Hale Murray happened last week. And so now I'm completely bought in on, on Kyler Murray. The uh, the last sports question I have for you is, uh, Theo Epstein left the Cubs this week. Uh and and generously allowed like the Ricketts family to reapportion his salary to like starving babies. I was going to say like sure it'll happen. Eric Sogard to a contract <laughs> extension or something like they or whatever they couldn't afford Sogard last off season. But the yeah I don't the Ricketts family. I feel like this is uh, we're not really in the overrated underrated business. I feel like they don't get enough credit for sucking ass. <laughs> they just do. really miserable people and yep. With the, I mean, obviously they built a great team in 2016, and like, I, you know, if they feel like they can't keep the core together, and they trust Jed Hoyer to make good trades or whatever, I, if I were a Cubs fan, I think I would be upset to see them uh, talking about taking it down to the studs this fast. Because I feel yeah. like th- I understand that like it's not perfect, and you can't keep it together forever or whatever, but like. They could win that division this year, and who knows if they, you know, whatever, who knows what the season will actually look like. The idea of just, like, consciously deciding not to, while the other competitive teams in the division are either tanking or, like, staying sort of static, which in the Brewers and the Cardinals, respectively, like, I I don't know. I feel like passing that opportunity up sucks. Yeah, I I found that I was very, I had a lot of affection for the World Series Cubs team because of Anthony Rizzo and the guy, and Kyle Schwarber and guys like that. It just seemed like a very likable team of course not from the not at the top because they never yeah. the owners never likable but yeah. the rest of the team seemed all right and now all of that just seems to be gone so my question for you is will epstein turn up with another team before next season begins or not not before next season i don't think i think that okay. he uh he's like maybe in the beginning stages of one of those like billy bean career pivots where he just sort of like decides that what he really wants to do is be a business guy I mean, he could get back into the baseball business. He's talked about that. And there's been talks about, like, uh, like if there's an expansion team in Nashville, he would be part of the face of that franchise. Uh. But, like, I don't. why do you need an expansion team in Nashville? Like, you've got, like, let's, let's figure out the fucking Marlins first before you start adding more teams to the league, for one yeah. thing. But, but, yeah, I mean, I think he, it's a question of what that job would be. Like, I had hoped... You know, I'm very happy that Sandy Alderson is the president of baseball operations for the Mets or whatever. He seems like a, or whatever his job title is. But he's like, because he seems like an admirable enough man. But like, I was sort of hoping that Epstein, I think that's the type of job that he would take. I don't think he's going to be like the GM running the like draft war room anymore. I don't think he's got any interest in that. But like, it's it, there's some team out there that I'm sure he could help. And like, I kind of hoped it would be the Mets because like, I don't know, I think he'd do a real good job. Yeah, someone. I assume someone will shovel just an insane amount of money at him. Although he already has an insane amount of money, so yeah. what does he need it for? You ready? Uh, you want to play the new game first? What the option is the the otherwise you sing at me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All so right, let's our, do the 
Let's do a new game first. We yeah, have a new game we're going to play I hope it doesn't week. run long and force the singing thing to be forced out of our podcast. Yeah, at some point, I, I, I'm going to ask our producer, Brandon, if he can make like a little bug for it, like, like before we do it. But I'm going to have to do it myself because our new game is Dead or Canceled. Dead or Canceled. Wow, interesting. interesting. I'm interested in seeing where this goes. So I'm going to give you the name of a person. You have to tell me whether or not they died or if they were canceled. All, All right, right. Let's do it. I was actually, I was going to pick the lead singer of Passion Pit, but it turned out to be neither. It turned out that he was suffering from crippling depression. So I was, oh. I was completely wrong. Good luck, man. There. So there. Your, your, uh, your challenge this week is to tell me whether this person is dead or canceled. It's a pretty easy one. Van Morrison, dead or canceled? Wow. I mean, it's a cancellation unto death uh, because he's, <laughs> he's also, uh, he's active. This is a really good first example, too, because he he is canceling himself by making, like, an album. It sounds like he's just, like, singing over Casio presets that are, like, jazz brunch, too. And he's just, like, kind of, yep. like, vocalizing over it about how, like, uh, COVID's a lie and... Uh, you gotta, you gotta live your life, and like, just like the most like fox-brained poison that you could imagine. So, like, yep. I think he's actively working to go from being canceled to being dead. Yes, but he is alive. Yes. So we have to. And by the way, have for you heard future the songs? Reference, They're incredible. Huh? Have you heard any of the songs? I might have heard like five seconds of it before I was like, I don't need this in my life. Yeah. Anymore. They're I, appalling. Uh, also, he was noted for being like one of the worst people in rock even before this, which is like that's no small thing because the Eagles exist. So, yeah. like for Van Morrison to be known like by everyone is a total bastard. Before. And then, but then also like the idea of being like, and this is actually like a real, it's a career achievement, not in terms of his yeah. music. I mean that like this is the worst that the worst guy has ever been. Which you oh know, hey, gotta doff Dick. your hat. Speaking of the worst, let me give the mashup of the week. You ready oh, for the mashup cool. of the week? Cool, love it. All right, and you yeah, know who else go. loves it? The listeners. That's Can't right. Get enough of it. They do. They do. <laughs> so see if you can guess what two bands I'm singing. You ready? Yeah. Whatever. Go ahead. You see the idiot walk. You see the idiot talk. You see the idiot chalk up his name on the blackboard. You see the robot walk on, walk on. What you got, they can't steal it. No, they can't even feel it. Walk on, walk uh, on. Oh, that's a bad song, Yeah, it man. didn't. All right. So, they're, God, they're both, like, on the tip of my tongue. Uh, I, I feel like Walk On is more recent. That's, like, some garbage from my youth. I'm not going to give you any hints. And the, the idiot... I guess it's like the problem is that it's you singing it, not to take anything <laughs> away from your singing. It's I just, think you can take a lot away. From I, yes, and I, I I look forward to um, doing. I'll do it in the comments under the blog post about this. I just don't feel like I need to do it here, uh, where everyone can hear it. But yeah, like I'm just like I'm incapable of hearing it in another person's voice because I've just heard it in yours. <laughs> Break me off, frustrate me. Who who is it? Uh, Walk on is a song by you two off of. Uh, like, oh yeah. Hi. Uh, and not to be confused with, uh, hey, kids, rock and roll. That Waka. shit. Yeah. No, Which Walk is On it? is like one of the, that's when they were making songs about like, if you had a bad day at work. That's from yeah. like all that you can't leave behind your <laughs> yep. shit. Yeah. 
and then the other one is uh, Walk Idiot Walk by the Hives. So a lower into a lower rung Hives tune, but still a very good one and one that I think about often when I see Trump walking. Did around. the Hives stay yeah. making music after they had their little moment? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I was. I remember because I was a huge fan of Hate to Say I Told You So. Yeah, it's a good and song. They're on. And they're on the MTV Awards with I think I think it was the Strokes. They did like a it was like a twin bill, and they played Main Offender instead. And I was mad because they didn't play the song I liked, but also I was like they could have been bigger if they had sung the good song, and then they they didn't. But it was uh, they were still yeah, they're probably like back in Sweden playing arenas, like having a good time. I guess it's not. Yeah. There's there are worse career afterlives than that. Uh, would I drink from the Poison Chalice? We're just gonna say in the music tip, it's a musical Poison Chalice yes. this week. Uh, okay, it's it's uh, it's Obama's playlist for his uh, oh memoir, yes hell yeah a promised land which got roasted uh, just the other day uh, so he has a he has a playlist and it's very like it's very much in track with Obama it's like very tasteful and yet like a bit lacking in bite so uh, I'll go I'll take you through the uh, through uh, through Obama's playlist Aretha Franklin the wait BB King the thrill is gone. Halo by Beyonce, and at last by Beyonce, two Beyonces for the price. So one thing, uh, before we go further in this, like, yes, uh, my friend Luke O'Neill pointed out that, like, these are good songs. The idea, of, the idea of listening to them consecutively, on the other hand, is psychotic. Right. It, well, you would put that, it would be playing in the background while you were shopping in, like, uh, a pottery barn. Yeah. I was gonna, trying was, to come up with, like, what's upscale enough. Like, this is just, like, a fucking West Elm mask playlist. Yeah, yeah, it's a good playlist though. We got there's Brooks and Dunn only in America, which I don't believe that he actually listens. Yeah, to this is the part of it where it reads like it's focus grouped too, which <laughs> yes. is not like what he want in a it like does. a mixtape for somebody. I'm like well, I'll go all genres of music. My friend Vince Mancini tweeted this morning. He was like, he's like, why is Obama suddenly everywhere now that the fucking election's over? Yeah, <laughs> which is so. <laughs> Uh, I'll take you through two more. There's uh, Bruce Springsteen is on here, and Bob Dylan, of course. You have to have both of he those. He also unless... picked like weak, like late, late period Springsteen too, right? Yeah, he picked the Rising, which is a song I actually liked. Like it's I liked. Fine. It's just like I... it's the fiftieth best Bruce Springsteen song. I liked. I liked that album, and I have a very odd reason why because it was produced by Brendan O'Brien, who produced uh, "Crack the Sky" by Mastodon. And I believe all of Pearl Jam's good albums. So I feel like anything Brendan O'Brien produced like has a nice touch to it. Yeah, I like the idea of Springsteen listening to that Mastodon record and be like, give me this producer. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, Lose Yourself is also on here. Which hilarious. Is, you know what? I feel like that's the only Eminem song that's actually aged well. The rest of them, like... Oh, the know, ones like, where he's like freaking out like a Muppet and being like, Christina Aguilera. Like, really, like, you're just like right. dissing people that aren't famous anymore. Yeah. Yes. What you yeah. Mean. Like, all of it was like, it had the, like, the shelf life of a tweet. And, but Lose Yourself, I still feel is like a pretty good song. One then thing that you can definitely do with this, you don't have to listen to Lose Yourself to do it, is just imagine Obama saying the chorus in his Obama voice, <laughs> like, with a lot of pauses and a lot of emphasis. And, like, just, it's really gratifying. It's a good song, but it's also, it's been co opted by, like, people like me. Like listening to it and doing like the white man head bob, with, or like with getting pumped up closed. to go mow the lawn or whatever. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> Mom spaghetti. Oh yeah, that's yeah, me. I know all about that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you through the rest of the playlist. You gotta look at it yourself because we gotta get to the guy of the week. Guy of the week in honor of the NBA's big week is Ricky Davis, the immortal Ricky Davis. We love Ricky Davis. 
Ricky who, Davis, like the most triple double hunting basketball player of his era. That's probably one of my favorite sports stories of all time. Ricky Davis trying to get a triple double, like rigging a game to give himself a trickle, triple double that he didn't get. He basically took a shot on his own goal so he could get the rebound, which he is did. incredible. He did. It's so great. It's unreal. He was also one of those guys that like. There's not that many people on earth that could score 20 points in an NBA basketball game pretty much whenever they wanted to. And he was one of those guys. And yet he still, was, he was so Ricky Davis that teams were like, I don't, there's plenty of guys that could score 17 a game too and aren't you. So we'll just do he, that. He was a great, he was a really good basketball player. I said great and I just, I walked it back. Yeah. I, I, I walked on. He was, to, you got to do it. What he's got, <laughs> you you actually can steal it. Uh, it's, it's, Let's open up the fun bag. This is from Brian. In a group chat, a friend just posted his top five all-time movie list in no particular order. Is this the worst top five movie list you've ever seen? Here are his Brian's friend's top five movies of all time. Ace Ventura, Major League, Die Hard, Dumb and Dumber, and Back to the Future. Do you have a verdict on that? I mean, I like all those movies, I think. Right, but yeah, it's a. But if those are like your favorite movies, like the things where you're like, I've never felt you know like the power of cinema quite as much as I did when like Ace came out of a elephant's ass. <laughs> right, I think that's a second Ace Ventura movie, but it's uh, yeah, that's like I think you you can get more out of the experience than that. Yeah, it's a very Kirk Cousins list. I don't, but I don't <laughs> find it offensive because. Back to the Future is on there, and Die Hard is on there, and those are both two perfect movies. Like they're perfectly yeah. constructed, well-written movies. Die Hard got like co-opted by like the Donald Trump juniors of the world, but it's still a flawless movie. So I can't. Like the other thing is that like I used to be able to like maintain a top ten of like my favorite oh, yeah. movies of all time. Like when I was in my twenties and stuff. Like, well, that might go in the top ten. And I don't do that. Yeah. I I mean, I feel like there's movies that I think about more than others. But the idea of, yeah, like curating a pantheon or whatever, like that would require a level of recall and intellection that I am no longer capable of. Yeah. I couldn't convincingly tell you what I had for lunch on Monday. So I'm not going (laughs) to give you like my top seven Coens like locked in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Miller's Crossing is still probably my favorite movie of all time. But my kids ask me and I can't. It doesn't even come to the top of my head. I can't. I'm like, well, that Empire Strikes Back was a pretty good movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, it's just I just sad, can't. But... And it it's it's annoying because I barely even have time to watch movies anymore. So I should be able to like my top ten should be fairly fixed. Yeah, by now. we like fell off into this thing where we're now watching like 66 minute long streaming television shows instead of just watching movies. And I feel like some of those shows are good, but also like. I haven't watched a proper movie start to finish in a really long time, and that feels bad because that's like one of the things I really like to do. I have Parasite. I got a screener because I'm in the union. I got a screener for Parasite from last year. I still haven't watched Parasite. I know I would like it. Yeah, it's like that's it. actually like one that I think you'd enjoy watching. It's not like, you know, I haven't watched like Phantom Thread, and I know that people really liked Phantom Thread, but I'm that not going gonna... to. I bet I would like to. I haven't seen it. Yeah, but like a two hour and 15 minute movie about a prissy man being rude to his girlfriend. Like, I don't necessarily. I mean, like, I'll get there, but it's not. I'm in no rush. Well, I have the. I'm under the. I have the, the working theory that, like, Paul Thomas Anderson makes a masterpiece every other movie, mm-hmm. and that the ones in between are, are shitty. You're the so guy like that, I, you hate Magnolia, right? Hated Magnolia. Hated Magnolia. Loved Boogie Nights. Hated Magnolia. Loved There Will Be Blood. Hated Punch Drunk Love. Hated The Master. 
So I was like, I was due. I figured I was due with Phantom Thread, but I have not watched yeah. it yet. I, I like uh, Magnolia fine, but I think it's, I think it's an ambitious failure, which I, is one of my favorite types of movies. Well, that's true, and there's not like there's not much room for those anymore. Like yeah. those happen more in television now. They're not. You don't get those sort of big ensemble clusterfucks. Yeah. <laughs> Miss it. Like now the only get them they used to have it like every year they would release one peg to like a different holiday. And it would be like Gary Marshall's, you know, Veterans Day. Oh, and yeah, it would just like yeah. whatever, thirteen different people like going on dates and yeah, halfway shows up. Yeah, that's like the uh just like a million Love Actually clones. Yeah. Where it's like you know, it's like an anthology movie where like yeah, like you said, the like, lesson like is Anne, always to like be be yourself or whatever. Yeah, yeah like, whatever. Like, like I guess we don't really miss bumps those into the too much. mentalist in like a department store. And then, <laughs> uh, Aaron writes in. My question to you as a metal aficionado is two part. If Guns N' Roses isn't hair metal, I can already answer that they are not. Is Kickstart My Heart the best hair metal song of all time? But if Guns N' Roses is hair metal, does that make you could be mine the best hair metal song of all time? As it is their best song. I have a lot of quibbles with Aaron's Yeah, here, well, go, go ahead. Okay, Guns N' Roses is not a hair metal band. They're just a straight rock band. You Could Be Mine is not their best song, even though I think it's a great song. But I do love Kickstart My Heart. Yeah. I do think it's a fucking great, great song. I heard song. it on the radio when we were... So the weekend that we went out of town after the election and whatever and missed the best party that's ever happened in this neighborhood because we were tooling around the lower Hudson Valley, we had rented a car that we could only listen to like FM radio on it. And it was, uh, you know, to save money. Right. And there was, I was surprised at like, you know, most of the songs that you'd hear on there, it was just like, you know, one of two Dua Lipa songs is playing on like any station somewhere, you know, out there. Right, right, right. But there was a ton of, Rus- there was a ton of rock set, which I have no idea how that, or why that <laughs> happened. Like way, like, and any rock set is a lot of rock set for 2020. But a lot of fucking crew. And so I heard Kickstart My Heart while driving on the Palisades Parkway and was like, I think I get it now. Like, I get it in a way that, like, maybe I didn't ever get it before. (sighs) I remember I had to cover a tailgate for Motley Crue for their, their, what was supposed to be their final tour because they had signed an agreement they would never tour again afterward. They immediately broke it. Oh, yeah. Like, they're, whatever. Those are, they're like bad guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, and so I, I interviewed all the fans of the parking lot, and one of them was a dad, and his kid was up on the shoulders. And uh, I was like, Your kid like Motley Crue, too? And the kid was like, Yeah. And I was like, What's your favorite song, boy? And he didn't want to say it. And the dad goes, Come on, you know it. It's the one where they say ass. And, <laughs> and I started laughing. I was like, That's kickstart my heart. And the kid's like, Yeah, it's my favorite one. And it's a great song. Yeah, I think it's one of the really good Motley Crue songs. Like, I think it's, a lot of the, the, the bombastic shit does not hold up very well, but that one's just like, yeah, it's a fast, yeah, uh, glossy, you know, song. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect song, and I, and I'm, I'm glad to be reminded of it. And it remains in my workout playlist to this day, which is superior to the Obama memoir playlist. Yeah, so that's true. He would never, he would never put it on there. He would put on like a something, <laughs> you know, much more respectable. He would put on Motley Crue's "Time for Change," which yeah. is a power ballad. <laughs> Brandon Nixon is a producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. And our theme song was written and performed by the immortal Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Citra Premium. And thanks to Roth and I, and only Roth and I, you get a free month of Citra Premium right now. You go to citrapremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector.com too. And on that note... Bye. Bye.